This week on Heads and Tails, I interviewed Ty Summerlin and Marissa McGurk from Adaptive Performance Systems. They're both strength and conditioning coaches that specialize in working with athletes who have prosthetics. They will be working with uh, our dude, Chianti Story, to help him achieve his goal of qualifying for the 2016 International Paralympic Games. And if you have no idea what I just said or have any idea what I'm talking about, uh, please listen to episode 13 before listening to the rest of this episode. You heard? This is Kevin Som. You're listening to the Heads and Tails podcast. We share stories of perseverance and inspiration in sports and in life. Well, thanks for tuning in to episode 21 of the Heads and Tails podcast. Uh, first, I want to thank everyone who donated to the GoFundMe we started for uh, Chianti's story to hire a strength and conditioning coach for him. Um, if this is your first time listening to the podcast, uh, definitely go back and listen to episode 13 to learn about his story, no pun intended. Uh, and this week, we will be interviewing Ty Summerlin and Marissa McGurk um, from Adaptive Performance Systems. Uh, they're both going to be uh, working with Chianti to help him reach his um, goal of qualifying for the 2016 International Paralympic Games. Um, so I guess, Ty, I guess we could start off. Just, can you guys just give us a little bit of your background and how you got into the training and then into working with adaptive athletes? Yeah, sure. Um, mine is kind of a roundabout path. Most of my formal education and training is in finance and personal financial planning. But took a hiatus from that a few years ago and went to work for my coach, who at the time uh, happened to be transitioning from a gym called I3E Institute. And they train a lot of pro athletes and collegiate athletes who are looking to make the pros. Um, and he was opening his own CrossFit gym. And at that time, CrossFit gyms on the East Coast were relatively unknown. Uh, this was in Long Island on New York. And through that whole transition process, I just happened to start training the world's top uh, or one of the world's top prosthetic practitioners uh, at a step ahead prosthetics. His name is Eric Schaefer. And uh, that kind of led to this whole evolution of working with adaptive athletes and kind of understanding that they were a very underserved portion of the athletic population. There were very few trainers working with them. Um, very few training programs designed specifically for them and very few trainers who understood kind of the mental and physical barriers that they faced on a, on a day-to-day basis. And so it kind of became one of my personal missions to design training programs for them based on what I was seeing while working at, um, at Eric's facility. Okay. Awesome. Um, before we get too far, how, uh, Marissa, can you give us a little bit about your background? Uh, so for education wise, I always started with, uh, exercise science and kinesiology from, from the very beginning. And I absolutely fell in love with that, um, moved into personal training, group exercise and strength and conditioning. But, uh, once I, I found CrossFit kind of found an attachment there. And at this point I was in North Carolina and I heard about some really cool games that were going on in Virginia and it ended up being the working wounded games, uh, all for adaptive athletes. So I I thought there. Yeah, I went up there, checked it out, and fell in love with it. I was like, this is what I want to do. These are the athletes I want to coach. That's awesome. Um, so, Ty, did you went to 
or, or I'm sorry, you started doing CrossFit as well, or like, how did you transition? I, like, obviously, Marissa, she had the exercise science background. She was kind of always in that realm. So, what yep. was the catalyst for you to start going from the finance world to actually training athletes? Uh, for me, it was, you know, I guess initially I wanted to own a CrossFit gym or several CrossFit gyms just because you were being, drinking the Kool Aid and you, that's the, the drinking the Kool Aid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was the initial thing. But, you know, I was, I was real fortunate because Dennis, uh, my coach and my boss and my mentor, was a uh, big Poliquin guy. So I don't know if you're familiar with Charles Poliquin and a lot of the principles that he teaches, but that kind of opened my world to, you know, it, to intelligent CrossFit program design and to intelligent program design in general and looking at how to design a progression that would keep somebody, um, st- make someone stronger, performing better over long periods of time rather than just kind of, you know, getting fit quick. Right. Um, and that had a lot to do with structural balance, making sure that one side of the body was just as equally strong and mobile as the other side, um, looking at mobility issues, strength issues, um, ratios between certain muscle groups. Uh, that, that is just entirely applicable to the world of adaptive performance and is, is a big piece that's missing. Um, yeah, so I was going to say, like, that's got to yeah. be, you know, the, the imbalance is obviously like quite apparent in, in that world. Um, yeah. <laughs> so that, so that's really, uh, so it's really, a, I mean, I owe a lot of this to Dennis and kind of the direction that he and the path that he forged for me uh, in working with adaptive athletes because it was a phone call to his gym um, saying, hey, look, and that, the, the actual phone call was from Amy Palmero Winters and Amy, um, I think is the only female amputee to ever finish the Badwater Ultra Marathon. It's a 135 mile race in Death Valley in June. Uh, so, you know, it's 150 degrees uh, foot temperatures. Wow. <laughs> uh, so it was really cool to be able to work with her, but she's actually the one who placed the phone call to the gym to say, hey, look, uh, my boss, you know, who was the prosthetist, is looking for a trainer and wants to start, um, you know, some real strength and conditioning. You know, can someone work with him? And that just happened to be me. Uh, so that, that kind of led to this whole world. And Dennis was key in, in helping me understand the real principles behind structural balance and what to look for and how to assess an athlete and how to, you know, pick that athlete apart, uh, muscle group by muscle group, uh, movement by movement to find out where their weakest links are and find out what those physical impediments will be to their performance. And then of course, coming up with a prescription and program to fix them. Right. And then you know, everyone's how- different. I'm sure that comes to you. So, um, yeah. All right. Oh, Mar- Marissa Entai, uh, can you talk about what your role is at Adaptive Performance Systems? Mo, well, I'll let you go first. <laughs> Ladies first. Uh, yeah. Well, I'll speak well, for both of us. Our first role is to make take adaptive athletes and just make them like as badass as we possibly can. <laughs> all right. Exactly. All right. In simple uh, terms. Oh, you go ahead. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Ty is a, is a mastermind behind everything. I like to say that. Uh, so he is like genius in programming and um, what to look for when we have all these athletes and they all have a different different need, different goal, and how to handle that and specifically address it. I'm doing my best to learn from him and throw in some pieces of mobility I might know or one or two exercises and just try and get as much information and education as I can from him. And really help these athletes as much as possible. 
All right, cool. Um, so kind of what we were and just gen- talking genius about. Is what, genius is way too strong a word, though. That's <laughs> 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 but thank you. <laughs> hey, it's nice to get you know, flattered every once in a while. There you go. Um, all right, so you, can you guys take us through when you get a, a brand new athlete? What's like? How do you you uh, assess their you know inconsistencies and where where do you start from you know ground zero? And then also kind of make it specific to Chianti um, just to see. And I actually just talked to him via email. He was saying that he just went through some like baseline stuff with you guys, and I think it'd be cool if we did this like every so often and kind of brought Chianti in here just to kind of see how he's doing with his training. Oh yeah, that'd be awesome. Uh, the first step in our process is always a consultation and that's gonna, you know, it's basically 10 questions that takes us down a path of discovering what is really most important to the athlete, um, what they really want to accomplish and more importantly, why they want to accomplish it. Um, so knowing our athletes why is probably at the center of everything that we do because uh, that's going to address the mental component. Um, and then some of those con- consultation questions are also going to help us point out weaknesses and maybe their nutrition or supplementation or kind of how they've gone about their training routines in the past. Um, and how they've gone about those training routines has led to the performance they're at so far to date. Um, then once we've performed the consultation, we'll take them through what is usually two 60 to 90 minute assessment sessions. And there we're assessing everything uh, from right versus left mobility, um, overall mobility, right versus left strength. So for example, with, I'll use Kiani as an example, because this is an example that's applicable to a lot of amputees. On the amputated side, that hip flexor is generally anywhere from 20 to 30% tighter than the hip flexor on the right side, so just the psoas muscle or the group of, the group of hip flexor muscles. And why is that? Um, and we use in a, uh, because they're, they kind of uh, – amputees live with their – or most of them live with their trunk uh, inclined forward. Just okay. as a result of the amputation, they kind of live in this uh, state of balance. You know, if you ask them to, if, even if you ask someone like Chianti to balance on his prosthetic side, he won't be able to do it. It's like you or me trying to balance on one stilt. It's nearly impossible. Um, so to compensate for that, their hip is shortened on the amputated side almost all the time. It's also going to be shortened on the non-amputated side. But on the non-amputated side, they're able to get into a much greater range of motion more easily. So, for example, if Chianti were to squat, and at the top range of motion, he can get into full range of motion on the left, but not on the right, that's an imbalance that'll be exacerbated, like, over time. So what we do is we'll measure that imbalance, and then we will track how well we're able to make up for that imbalance over time. Um, So that's a real simple one. Uh, we have a real simple assessment that allows us to quantify all those imbalances. Um, but that's a big one, right versus left hip flexor mobility. Um, another one that we will see a lot is right versus left hamstring mobility. So is one hamstring weaker or stronger than the other? Uh, real example, we see that all the time with above knee amputees. And Mo, you can attest to this because we just did a workshop at Challenge Athletes Foundation where we did a mini, mini assessment on this. 
But on an above-knee amputee, you'll often see that the side with amputation is just a lot more mobile because there's not a lot of muscle there. And the side without amputation uh, is, is really tight because they're just overcompensating on that leg and using that hamstring so much more often. And so their range of motion tends to be very limited on the non-amputated side, especially through the hamstring. Absolutely. Does that yep. lead to a lot of injuries on the, the non-amputated side? Uh, yeah, I mean, Chianti is kind of a – I don't know if it, it was related to the imbalance, but, I mean, Chianti pulled his hamstring during trials, and I think we've seen probably a lot more injuries in the non-adaptive community, um, especially if they get into things like – this is not a, anything against CrossFit, but if they get into something that – is high intensity without a high emphasis on mechanics and fixing those structural imbalances, then yeah, the propensity for injury becomes much higher. All right. Um, all right. So based off your, Mo, anything there? Uh, I definitely agree with that. The whatever, whatever sport of activity they're trying to do, um, always having an imbalance there is going to have you at a higher risk of injury, no matter what, regardless of amputation or no amputation. Yeah, true. All right, so based off of your guy's uh, baseline for Chianti, what stuff does he need to work on in order to achieve his goal? Um, Chianti also has I'll, – I'll start with imbalances, and then I'll lead to some of the more, let's say, overall physical conditioning and then mental toughness. Okay. Because that – that for all of us is probably what separates the winners from those who don't win. <laughs> no, I, I 100% believe in that for sure. Just from yeah. being not any really like a high level athlete myself, but just from the athletics that I have participated in, that's yeah. definitely true. And so I'll talk about Chianti and I'll talk about a couple of other athletes. And so for Chianti specifically, um, he has a kind of a, I'm not sure if it's a tear or he has a general weakness through the left shoulder and that's going to show up in a dumbbell external rotation test. Uh, for example, you can compare someone's eight rep dumbbell, like dumbbell external rotation to their one rep max close grip bench press. And if those numbers fall when it's within a certain range, it means that they are either balanced or imbalanced. And if there is an imbalance there, we can fix that uh, by tracking those numbers over time. So that's one that shows up right away. And the other one is going to be just overall weakness on the side with amputation. So for Chianti, that's his right side, uh, particularly right around the muscles surrounding the knee, as you can imagine with most below-knee amputees. Uh, the integrity of things like the VMO and the lower hamstring um, are, are generally going to be compromised and weaker than the, than those on the other side. So designing um, you know simple things like uh, Peterson step up or Poliquin step ups to really target uh, the lower knee muscles and musculature right around the knee becomes really important. Uh, and that's tough. I mean, those are they may look like real simple exercises, but you know, for a below knee amputee, they are fucking grueling. And that's just for like. <laughs> That's just for like stability in the prosthetic to get those muscles strong. Like what? Yes. Yeah. So it's for that. And it's also to prepare him for really heavy bilateral squatting and bilateral deadlifting. Okay. 
Um, so we're so in the in the beginning stages, and I'll talk about Chianti, and I'll also talk about a guy, uh, Mike Braxton, because he's another swinter, another sprinter that we were doing remote program design work for out in New York. Um, if we do a lot of single leg Romania deadlifts, uh, Poliquin or Peterson step ups, single leg, let's say rear foot elevated split squats or some version of a split squat, and a lot of single arm work in that first four to six week training cycle, we're going to do a lot to prepare them for success when we start getting into heavier squatting, heavier deadlifting, heavier shoulder presses. Whatever it is we're doing heavier, whether we're getting into a power clean cycle or some sort of Olympic cycle. So we see this, this kind of this um, program design protocol play out where they start with structural balance, then we move into a strength cycle, then we move into a power cycle. And by that time, we probably need to go back and fix some of the imbalances that may have seeped their way into the strength and power cycles just because that's how right, naturally, it works. Yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so those are, that, that, you know, for Chianti, and I mean, Mike Braxton's a classical example. Chianti's just getting started, but he set up the first, first six-week training cycle. He had accomplished more in that first six weeks than he had in eight months of physical therapy. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, and it was the first time he was ever to, he was a police officer, detective in uh, Atlantic City. It was the first time he was able to work a full shift in uniform on his feet. Yeah, prepared so, him just that, for everyday life, yeah. It just prepared him for everyday life, yeah. And I think that's what we, we find a lot with the, the first few cycles of, uh, of an athlete's training when we're really focused on improving the structural integrity of their bodies um, and helping them develop more balanced strength and mobility throughout their bodies. They just, it's overall physical wellness. They just feel better every day. Their confidence improves. goes a long way for helping them uh, in the gym mentally. Uh, and, and all that's going to carry over from one training cycle to the next. So I think it's the framework in general that gives them the confidence that, hey, this is a program that's finally going to work for me. Right. Yeah. And when you see those results, then you kind of just want to yeah, keep it going. And then it gives you the confidence to go even further. Um, yeah. So, Mo, you want to talk about the mental side of training these athletes and then Ty, you can talk about how your approach to the mental side. Cause a, sure. a lot of our podcast is about, um, you know, athletes transitioning to life after sports. So a lot of times that struggle, you know, is, you know, you go from doing something your whole entire life to all of a sudden not being able to do it anymore. So I would definitely like to hear your guys take on, you know, the, the mental side of, of, getting over an injury and, you know, coming back on, on top? Uh, well, the mental game, the, the, that mental challenge is probably almost just as hard, if not harder as a physical challenge, uh, just because like self doubt can kind of creep in there or just break down in trust with your body. Like you don't trust your body to do something that even at once could, or, or maybe something it always could, but not as well being able to build back up that confidence uh, is like one aspect of it. The other aspect is that being able to push past anything that's slightly uncomfortable or, you know, just outside that comfort zone. So I would say figuring out between which one of those directions that athlete needs to work on more um, would be like the, yeah. the main thing to focus on. Sometimes uh, 
athletes what respond better to having a coach that can push them farther and other athletes need to find that that drive inside them so just figuring out what works best for each of these athletes what's going to motivate them to go outside that comfort zone and push themselves a little bit farther nice you have an example of an athlete that you worked with that overcame kind of the mental battles that they were facing early on in their their training uh, not an example of an adaptive athlete that I work with thus far. Um, but I have worked with, I worked in the strength and conditioning, uh, department of a D one college. So I had a lot of female basketball athletes and who had come back from a lot of ACL tears, MCL tears. So okay. for them being able to have confidence in their knee, like, so if it was their right knee, they would go up for jumping and only jump off their left. They would drive off their left. Everything would be off that left leg because they didn't have confidence in the right foot or in the right leg and the right knee. Right. So being able to, through different exercises, build up that strength and build up their confidence in that leg to be able to form for what they wanted to see their results was the biggest challenge. But um, this one athlete, Charlotte, she, she came in, she was pretty timid the first time I met her, but over the course of six months, we were able to not only get her performing on the court, but doing squat cleans with a barbell, which is something that she was terrified to go back to. Right. I'm sure. Yeah. I actually just got an oats procedure done on my knee. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that. No, what is that? Basically, like chunks of my cartilage broke off. I probably from squatting. Um, <laughs> so basically, they they plugged <laughs> the hole back up with my own cartilage on a non weight bearing surface of my femur. That so sounds. Cool. I'm, I'm non weight bearing for six weeks, but yeah, I don't know if I'll ever be uh, squat cleaning 300 pounds ever again. But um, <laughs> right. but like you said, I guess baby steps to give me the confidence to get there. Yeah, it's that trust in your body. Once your body, like, can't perform something, it's hard to get that back. Right. Uh, I think that's – so I'm going to go into another example. Uh, Kevin, you were about to – did you have a question? No, I was going to get your take on the mental side. All right. So this is Friday. (laughs) Uh, We've been working – if you've been to our website, you probably know we've been working with Roy Perkins for a while. Uh, He's a six-time Paralympic swimming medalist. He's a quad amputee. And – I've all, I guess I've just had the sense that his biggest weakness is mental. You know, he's preparing for Brazil. It's going to be a high-profile Paralympic event because his rival uh, is a is kind of like Michael Jordan in Brazil. Um, okay. And that, so that's our, tough going up against. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So our um, the gym that I go to, the gym that I train at, won um, a seal fit 20 X challenge. So I'm, I don't know if you're familiar with that, I'm but familiar it's uh, seal fit. Yeah. Yeah. So the 20 X challenge is kind of this 12 hour tester to get you to take you to kind of another place. You've never been physically, mentally, or spiritually. And uh, after doing it Friday night, uh, along with Roy, who's the first quad amputee to ever do it, um, I can tell you that the suck factor is incredibly high, <laughs> uh, but you learn how to get through it. Um, so you're, you're in sand, you're doing, uh, no, you're doing burpees with hands in your pockets in the sand, you're carrying people through water, you're doing ocean dives, and it is not warm right now in San Diego. <laughs> oh, really? You're, yeah, you're doing all this at 2 or 3 a.m. in the morning. Yeah, um, no sleep, after- yeah. Yeah, after seven hours of training, uh, you're doing Murph with a 20-pound rucksack on, 
and then you're moving into log PT and you're constantly being, uh, you know, doused with water, being forced into ice baths. And you know what? That's really tough to get through when you're wearing prosthetics um, and when you don't have elbow, when you don't have limbs below your elbows or limbs below your knees and you're having to go through all that and you're having to carry people. But that is probably the most important thing that Roy could ever do for the next eight months. Because it puts everything in perspective, like knowing that you've done this, like this is nothing compared to, you know, the, the seal fit training, right? How hard do you think a race in Brazil is going to be right. <laughs> compared, compared to what we went through on Friday night? You know, so it was because our gym won these slots and I, I kind of like cajoled my way into getting an extra slot for Roy. Um, and he actually wanted to do it. I don't think he knew what was involved. Right. He hated <laughs> you after. He, oh, yeah. He totally hated me. He's like, I hate you now. <laughs> uh, you know, that's, that's kind of, the, I think that's the relationship. And it's because of the standards that we set for our athletes. It's, you know, we have very high standards for our athletes. When Chianti is late for his training sessions, he knows that there's a penalty for that. What's right? the penalty? That, that, penalty that penalty might be he does nothing but push a sled for an hour. Okay. Until his <laughs> until his quads fall off, <laughs> right? We haven't had to impose that penalty yet because we're kind of working our way up there. But um, it's it's really uh, in a lot of our program design. I mean, you think about doing um, even some of the simple single arm and single leg exercises, like a single leg Romanian deadlift with a four second negative and one second pause in the bottom, is a hell of a lot harder and more mentally taxing than just kind of going, going through the through motions. The yeah, exactly. Perfect form, perfect technique, everything dialed in, back aligned. Like that stuff is just as hard mentally as it is physically. Uh, so for us, I think that we see the testimonials on our website. It's amazing. I, I didn't expect this, but it's amazing how many of them address um, the mental barriers that adaptive athletes face. And, and I guess – you know, and if shit, I don't know if it's luck or just whatever. It's me having coaches that always set high standards, but I think that we impose standards on them that, you know, they're not used to having imposed on them because they're used to people treating them like, um, you know, I don't know, like they're special or whatever. But you know, we just hold them to the high. We hold them to the hold highest. Hold them accountable. Standards. Yeah. Yeah. We hold them accountable and. I think it's that additional level of accountability that kind of draws them to us because we know – I think ultimately maybe they don't realize it at first, but at some point they're going to realize that those tough physical standards are what's going to take them to the next level. And they either decide to get through it or they don't, and if they don't, then they just don't work with us. Right. And if they do, then they will work with us, and if they work with us, then they're going to get to that level. I like that mentality. I think the, the listeners who donated to the GoFundMe will be uh... – happy knowing that you, you guys are going to be coaching them with, with, with that mentality. Um, yeah. all right. So, so now my next goal is to get Con Chianti to do the 20X event. <laughs> you got to, I, I want so to do it too. His challenge. So what's the no difference between he, he's got, he's got elbows and he's got a leg. <laughs> he's got, he's got forearms and a leg. <laughs> well, uh, what's the difference between the 20X and the Kokoro camp for seal fit? Uh, so Kokoro is 50 hours and seal and uh, 20 X is 12 hours. Okay. okay. Yeah. Maybe I'll yeah. start with the, the 20 X first. 
I'm like deadly afraid of it because I'm like claustrophobic with water stuff. And I, I've just, I've heard things from other podcasts I listen to that uh, people who have done Kokoro that like once they find out that they, that you, that they know that you're afraid of water or something that they just keep putting you in the water or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Expect many ice baths. Yeah. (laughs) And many ocean dives. Yeah. I gotta do that. (laughs) Once my knees all better, I'll, uh, I'll do it. There you um, go. All right. So, what are your guys' goals for Keontae going forward, and what kind of potential do you see in him? Because I know when I met him at the Working Wounded Games, I was his, um, I was his judge for a few of the events, and I was like amazed at the level of athleticism that this guy had. You know, even yeah. when he was trying to pick up the Atlas Stone, it was like he like power cleaned the Atlas Stone up onto the platform. I like couldn't believe it. Um, he even told me that he was going to do it that way. And I was like, yeah, I don't know if that's really going to work out, but, and then he did it. I was like, holy crap. Like this guy's amazing. Um, so I just kind of want to hear what you guys, you know, thought of Keontae as an athlete and you know, what you see for him in the next few months uh, of his training. Mo, you haven't worked with Keontae that often, but, um, I'm going to let you kind of comment cause you, you have seen a couple of sessions that we've gone through. I'll let you talk first, and then I'll go into some of the broader themes. Uh, right off the bat, like he definitely has some natural talent and just natural strength. That's, that's right there, already ready to go. Uh, I would say going forward, focusing on those imbalances, ch- trying to, to bring them closer together, also on the form and technique um, for all those movements, which some of the movements that are required, uh, he's a – little bit of mobility that needs to be worked on so he can better perform those movements. I think that'll make a very big difference going forward. So overall is form and mobility. All right, cool. Um, yeah, that, that's a big one, but, uh, for Chianti, oh shit, I'm sorry. What was Kevin? What was the question again? <laughs> so I just wanted to talk about like what your goals were for Chianti oh, going yes, forward yeah, over yeah. the next few months. Well, initial, you know, initially, I, I think that you know, Keontae is definitely competitive. He's got all this athletic potential, um, but at the end of the day, he wants to be physically fit um, and on an kind of on an overall basis, you know, for life. Yeah, he wants to have everyday health and wellness, um, and so that's kind of something that we have to work into the overall design. But you know, my goal is, I think Keontae can be a world class hundred meter sprinter, um, whether whether he knows that or not. Um, and it, you know, it's kind of weird in the Paralympic world because there are so many athletes that compete in the hundred meter distance that, you know, kind of coaches will say, oh, well, you know, maybe you should, maybe you're not doing so well in the hundred. So you should go transition to the 400. And so the athlete goes and transitions to the 400 because the coach says, oh, wow, this guy could be great at the 400. And then, you know, maybe, uh, it gets real competitive or something happens and, the it doesn't work out for the athlete, so they go into powerlifting. Or <laughs> Mo, you've kind of seen this with other athletes as well. Mm-hmm. Where in the para world, there's such a desire for each coach to want to, and I don't want to say like just look good or whatever, but it seems like there's a sense that oh my god, you know, if I have this guy in my row team, it'll be really cool because he can crush it. When in the athlete's heart, what they really want to do is be a world class hundred meter sprinter. Right. Um, and so I think it's getting Chianti to really focus on what he's really capable of. I think he was doing the 100 when he first started um, at like, 
I don't know, 13 or 14 seconds, but his goal during trials last year was 12.1. And I know without a doubt that he can do it, but he's got to believe that. Um, He hasn't worked with us for a while. We really just started. I've done some kind of technique and form work because I wanted to see initially how he deadlifted. And just based on watching him deadlift for one session, I knew that he was probably performing at about half of his full potential well, because of how, yeah. because of how, I mean, you know, if you're, if you're deadlifting with a rounded back and straight legs, you're not going <laughs> to, you're not going to activate your hamstrings or your glutes or your lower back much. Right. right? All you stuff activate, you need for sprinting. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Um, so it was looking at that. It was looking at how he was squatting and, you know, how much, what's your front squat to back squat ratio? What's your deadlift to back squat ratio? Those are all key ratios for a sprinter. Um, and just seeing how off those were and seeing how weak he was when he performed deadlifts with proper form, I knew that, man, this guy can, and just, you know, I mean, a guy like Keontae should be power cleaning at least 225. And I think the most he's ever done is maybe 155 or so. So I know there's a shit ton of power and strength, um, and that, you know, it is an incredible physique. Uh, just it's now it's having a program that gets him there. And that program starts with fixing imbalances. And then it goes into hammering home on all the strength work that we need to, to put into place to make sure that his numbers are dialed in and all those ratios are appropriate for a sprinter. And, that's, and then it's him just getting in all the track work and running as fast as he possibly can. Um, and, and, you know, we have... Mo is going to help me with possibly we'll see how things work out with them um, with some of Keani's potential track coaches. But, you know, something as simple as setting up a set of, you know, 600 meter sprints on Monday with three minutes rest in between each one. And then following that up on Thursday with the same six sets of hundred meter sprints with only two minutes and 30 seconds of rest. Okay. But, tr- but trying to keep up with your Monday scores like that's a mental game, right? right. I mean, it's a mental right. and physical game. When you're freaking uh, sucking so wind, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, so that's those are just a few of the things that uh, I think that you know where, where I see Chianti at athletically, and where I see him going. Um, you know, right now I think he's very weak. You know, that's just that's my assessment. He's very weak. Uh, he's very imbalanced for his frame and for. Um, for his natural athleticism. And I think once he gets strong as shit, like I believe he can, and like I believe he will with our program, I think he can, you know, he can become that world-class athlete. Awesome. Well, I know I'm looking forward to seeing his, his progress. Um, yep. All right. Before I know we're coming up on time, but I have still a few more questions. Um, oh, and we've got, you know, beyond three, if you, you know, that's uh, Mo, I don't know how you are, but uh, uh, a little longer. All right. Um, so in terms of technology, how has technology improved for prosthetics, uh, in terms of athletics and stuff like that? And where do you see that going in the future, uh, in terms of helping adaptive athletes? I feel like there's a, a whole new wave of this adaptive athlete kind of community. And I'm just curious to see what you yeah. guys think about, uh, what the future looks like. Well, Mo may, may know more a little bit. Um, may know a little more about this because she at one point was considering becoming a prostatist. <laughs> um, so Mo, not to be confused with a prostitute. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> so Mo, maybe you can speak to some of this. Uh, so one thing that's been coming up recently is 
prosthetics now are being made with possible nerve ending wired sensors. So it recreates the feeling of a real limb. Um, So I don't know if that's been officially transferred into the athletic population yet, but uh, if it, if that does go that direction, that'd be insanely crazy. So it'd be like, if you're uh, a BK amputee, you have sensors that go up into your quads. So you feel like you have a real leg down there compared to just having this prosthetic that's moving inefficiently. So I think if that crosses over, that'd be crazy. So you see like amazing strides. Yeah. So, so the prosthetic would send a signal like to the nerves in the quad that... So, nope. Yeah, like the sensors, they actually, they tell the brain... Uh, that there is a leg there, and the the person who's wearing it, they actually feel like they're walking off the ground, like there is a leg there. It's crazy when okay. you watch people wear it. Cool. Well, so. I, I think they've also done some of that with um, maybe it's not exactly the Michelangelo hand, but one of the hands where when you dip your fingers on the prosthetic hand in water, you can feel the water. I so it's got like- to that level. I don't even know how people can like conceptualize this stuff in their heads. It's like way beyond. <laughs> yeah, my but level it, of thought, just, but. <laughs> but just in general, too, I mean, the run legs have made significant advances. I mean, Mo George Lara is a prime example. Uh, George is a um, elective below knee amputee. He is, was an executive, fell off a ladder, and just after just a lot of complications with uh, with the ankle. Um, decided to have his foot uh, removed, and um, uh, uh, he was he kind of had some different went through a couple different prosthetics um, before being sponsored by Osura and getting this like phenom. Is it Osura or Autobot? Do you remember uh, Mo? Uh, I want to say Autobot for some reason. Okay, okay. I, I'm not sure which one of those manufacturers, but it. Um, it almost gives the amputee a sense that there is an ankle, which is huge. Because <laughs> if you can have some sort of sense of like dorsiflexion or right, like a um, hinge or there, yep. yeah, yeah. I mean, and it's it's just made a huge difference in his training. Um, so he feels a lot more confident doing things like box jumps and squatting and you know anything that kind of requires some sort of plyometric work and just just walking around in general feels completely different for him right that's so really that's, cool yeah, i'm excited yeah. to see where where that stuff goes and like i said like i don't even know how people come up with this stuff like i mean i think even people that have worn it they said they can tell whether they're walking on gravel concrete grass sand like yeah. they can tell which one they're walking on wow that's amazing I could definitely I think, see yeah. Yeah, that there's no way that can't help improve uh, athletics for prosthetic athletes either. Yeah. And there's also, um, there's also advances with the, uh, with osteo integration. That's where they actually, uh, Mo, I think they fuse the, the prosthetic to the bone. Isn't that right? Yes. Yeah. So they you're fuse, correct. Yeah. Yeah. So it's fused to the bone. Um, and I'm not sure exactly what, how that process works. It's, it's very new. I'm sure there are only a few prosthetists that actually do it or surgeons that do it. Um, but I know they're doing it at a step ahead prosthetics. And, um, you know, in that scenario, you don't, you don't have to deal so much with 
the, this prosthetic that, you know, kind of slips on and off or it gets old and janky. Um, it's, you know, it's kind of like you, you've got a full-time leg. <laughs> right. So that you said that what's like the biggest challenge with having the prosthetics and is it, is it keeping them on or is it like you, like you guys have mentioned, uh, not being able to kind of feel what surface you're on and, you know, having to adapt kind of mentally. I would agree to both of those. Also the fact that you have a socket there, uh, sometimes like depending whether your legs like getting is it, it's growing, which most likely it's it's atrophying, but so it's not fitting as well, or there's just sweating or skin irritations that can cause a lot more pain and annoyance than you can than you really think about until it actually starts to happen. Right. Yeah. I was just yeah. Gonna, what were you yeah, saying? I think another. I think that that's a huge one because um, we've had we've had athletes who because their prosthetic just isn't functioning for whatever reason. Um, it really becomes a hindrance to their performance or they just have to take time off of training because uh, here's, here are a couple examples. Uh, when Amy was running Badwater in 2012, I'm pretty sure it was 2012, yeah, 2012, um, about, oh God, maybe 30 or 40 minutes into it for, uh, this is a prosthetic she ran on for years. Uh, her li- her kind of her lower limb was becoming black and blue. And, um, you know, just getting that sucker to fit right uh, for whatever reason that day was a real challenge. But she finished a 135-mile race with basically her lower limb black and blue. <laughs> it was unbelievable. So talk you about, talk a, about a mental challenge, yeah. Yeah, so that, that's where the whole – I think that's why we're so, why we're so strict on winning the mental game um, is because you can't let things like that hold you back. You can't use the excuse, oh, my God, my prosthetic – just isn't fitting right today or my prosthetic is bugging me today. So I'm not going to train. Um, but on, at the other, at the other end of the spectrum, I think it, how the prosthetic fits and how the leg has been amputated can have a big impact on whether someone can move well or not. And, Oh, we saw this mm-hmm. at the clinic, at the clinic we did on Thursday, we had two above knee amputees and this is real this is prominent with above knee amputees where someone can squat really well for whatever reason they're able to use that amputated side because there's either more limb there than someone else or because they have a i guess uh, a better engineered prosthesis but tra- uh, one of our athletes uh, Travis was performing near perfect squats as an above knee amputee it was like, holy shit. That's a, yeah, <laughs> guy's, it's like almost yeah. perfect. Yeah. <laughs> and we had, we had another guy there um, who was having a real problem. And this, and I see it more often than not, um, getting into any sort of meaningful squat position, even at, let's say, a quarter squat depth. He was just really relying on the non-amputated side. Whereas the other athlete was almost evenly balanced. <laughs> Yeah, that'd be so amazing that's, to see. Uh, yeah. And another example, we have an athlete in one of our online programs, um, Kelly, who can perform rear foot elevated split squats on his amputated leg. He's above knee athlete with near perfect form at full depth. So his non-amputated side that's up, that's the rear foot elevated, his knee is getting all the way to the ground and he's able to drive through his prosthetic. Wow. That's working. And I've had other guys 
that can barely get down two or three inches. Wow, that's <laughs> you know, crazy. with that with that movement, because either either that limb is just really weak or it's a very uncomfortable movement. And in all instances, they're they're assisted, so it's not really a balance issue. It's more of a strength, or it's the prosthetic. Maybe the knee isn't as um, highly functional as it is on one prosthetic versus the other. But it's amazing the differences we'll see in the ability of the athlete to move through a full range of motion depending on how the prosthetic fits, the quality of the prosthetic, the uh, engineering dynamics of the prosthetic. Those are all factors that will play into how well an athlete moves and how comfortable and confident they feel in that prosthetic. So increasing their confidence on the prosthetic side and their ability to move in the prosthetic is something we are um, – you know, very focused on. Just like Mo was saying before with her uh, her basketball athletes. Yep, exactly. We yeah, want to make them, yeah, we want to give them, we want a framework that gives them confidence in their ability to perform on the side that's been injured. Mm-hmm. I'm just echoing, Ty, okay. just echoing Ty there saying that that, that prosthetic uh, is going to make a world of difference between one athlete from another athlete, what type it yeah. is. Um, how it's being held on, whether it's suction suspension and silicone or especially for above knee, if they have to have a TES belt or not, it's like a big change right there. So, right. Could be um, any- all right. So for just to finish up the, the episode, can we, can you guys both give us your take? I thought this is a good transition too into the recovery aspect. Cause like, like you said, Hey, what if they're, their knee is, you know, bruised and beaten from the prosthetic. And how how do you kind of balance the recovery aspect of your training so you don't, you know, hurt, you know, another, you know, limb or something like that just from overtraining? I know for myself, that's probably how I hurt my knee. So um, I think any athlete, uh, whether they have a prosthetic or not, could kind of benefit from what you guys think about recovery. Sure. Mo, why don't you take this one first? Uh, So... I am big on recovery, not only for externally what you've been doing, but also internally. I think that nutrition is going to pay, play a big part in how well um, you feel, like even to the point of like having Epsom salt can make a big difference, um, especially if you have those outer, outer irritations. Um, but again, going back to really honing in on form and technique from the beginning, yeah. Um, the athlete will hopefully, and, and as having the coach there too, will be able to see when, if they do have that irritation or something going on, when it's starting to affect what their movement pattern looks like. So if you've been working with this athlete for a while and like their deadlifts gone from being just okay to being really freaking awesome. And then today, for some reason, it, it looks like it's taken 10 step backs. Then it's just making a modification and what movement they're doing so that they're not putting themselves at risk to, to injure another muscle or, or their non-amputated side. So you guys got to, I'm sure you guys have to kind of look out for the athletes themselves because they might not be telling you that, oh, I'm not feeling so good today. But if you, you, know, you guys are paying attention, you could see like, yeah, you were doing this last week and now you're struggling to do the same thing. Um, interesting. Yeah, I think Mo hit it on the head. If someone is squatting improperly um, – with even slight errors, and we'll all have slight errors, but um, the more perfect you can get someone to move, then the better their recovery is from that training session. 
So that's the first step. The first step is get them to master movement. And you can do that with various progressions, uh, quality program designs. So making sure they're not overtraining or undertraining. Um, and we'll see that a lot, man. I mean, Kiani is a prime example of someone who, you know, if you're training seven days a week, twice a day or whatever, <laughs> you'll see that a lot of times in the adaptive community because it's an outlet. And you understand because it's an outlet, right? right. Athletics becomes your outlet. Training becomes your outlet. So it's kind of getting them to take a step back. You know, let's train smarter. Let's sleep more. Let's focus more on quality of nutrition. Um, and let's also play the mental game on your recovery. You know, it's tough to recover mentally from an injury. Um, let's win that mental game as well. Right. You know, so how are we going to win it? How are we going to win it? Uh, let's sleep more, nutrition, um, and, let's, and let's have the discipline to follow through on all that. So I, I think discipline is a big key to successfully recovering from an injury. Right. You know, knowing, knowing when to back off, uh, knowing when to push it. Um, and just being smarter about everything in general. And also, I think, you know, being a good citizen and kind of having a focus outside of athletics is really important. Um, you know, having some other focus or something to fall back on uh, is, is, is important just in, in kind of in any area of life. You know, thinking about um, how you're going to use, let's say, this, um, this opportunity to help others, um, you know, what are you doing with your life outside of athletics is very important to recovery. Right. Yeah. Cause you never know what's going to happen, you know, in five minutes or five days. Um, yeah. Also just like for the day to day stuff, you know, you're going to have bad days of training and you can't let that get you down or, or discourage the rest of the week. So it helps to have something else to, to go and focus on and put some energy towards. Right. Um, that's been the podcast for me. Um, but can you guys tell me what your definition of perseverance is and then, then plug your, your website and social media accounts. And then we'll, we'll plan on doing another episode, maybe a couple of weeks from now and talk about Chianti's progress. Awesome. And we also have a few other athletes that need to be on your program. I can no, think of that, a couple yeah, that'd right be great. off that. Yeah. Especially when it comes to mental toughness. Okay. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Mo, you want to take the perseverance first? You want more time to think, don't you? Oh. Yeah, I didn't send this one ahead of time, but Not really. based off of our conversation, I thought it would be a good one. I prefer to just go with it. <laughs> okay, so perseverance for me would be doing something despite – how am I going to word this? Not wanting to do it? <laughs> I'd say despite staying focused towards your goal, despite how yesterday went, All right. that would be perseverance. I don't think I've ever gotten that answer. I like that. It's good. Man, for me, it was, it's that 20 X that to me is so, so here's, uh, here's what happened to me with 20 X. Uh, I was totally unprepared. I, I went into it, like kind of got the boots and the stuff that I needed last minute and one thing I certainly should have done was get body glide, which is a gel you <laughs> yeah, put so you over your shake, body. Yeah. To prevent, yeah. So uh, started, we started at 7 p.m. And by 8 p.m., my legs were chafed so bad that I was running around like a, I, every time I walked, I had to walk like a monkey. <laughs> so I mean, it's, it's working through pain. It's working through just suffering. And I, mean, I think I was listening to a podcast um, 
with one of your guys where they talk about embracing the suck. I mean, to me, man, you think about some of these guys. I mean, some like my coach uh, was a sniper SEAL. You know, he's talking about spending six months in Afghanistan eating nothing but MREs all day. You know, it's like right. like that that kind of stuff. I mean, that's it's it's getting through times when you're like, holy shit, I can't believe that I'm that I'm here in the ocean. And my legs are chafed like hell. My shoulders are on fire. My legs are on fire. I'm feeling nothing but pain. But you know what? I've got this guy right here beside me. One of my athletes can't quit because if I quit, then yeah, you're not showing him. It's all uh... over him. Yeah, yeah. So it's 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 just getting through that. I mean, I and I had to go through Murph at 3 a.m. with those chafed legs. And for the non-crossfitters <laughs> out there, Murph is. Uh, Running a mile with with a weight vest on, doing a hundred pull ups, two hundred push ups, three hundred air squats, and then finishing with another mile. Um, so obviously, while you're you're chafing, that's probably not the most enjoyable experience. So I guess I guess I can sum it up into into one word. I think um, perseverance is sacrifice. All right, I never got that one either. I like that. Um, but Marissa and Ty, I really appreciate you taking an hour out of your Sunday to uh, to do this interview and to talk about Keontae and to have all of our listeners who donated to his, his cause um, kind of know what their, what, where their money went to. Um, and let's definitely set something up in the next couple of weeks to get a little follow-up and get a, a progress note on how Keontae's doing. And um, I'll reach out to you uh, personally to find some more athletes of yours to uh, have on the podcast. Awesome, man. Look forward to it. Thank you so much, Kevin. Thanks, Ty. No problem. Thanks, Mo. Yep. Thanks, Ty. You got it, man. All right. I'll talk to you soon. Take care. Bye. Bye. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you share it with all your 1,500 Facebook friends that you have no idea who they are. And also, all episodes are available for download on iTunes and Stitcher, so please make sure that you subscribe um, to the Heads and Tails podcast and also leave us a five-star review to help us spread our message further and further every week. Um, For detailed show notes, go over to headsandtails.org backslash podcast. And the best way to stay up to date with Heads and Tails activities is by following us on Instagram at Heads and Tails. Heads is in your head, the letter N, and Tails spelled T-A-L-E-S. Same thing on Twitter, just add a little P-O-D on the end of that handle, and on Facebook. And please tag us on any motivational stories you come across for future episodes. And just like flipping a coin, you can't always control outcomes in life, but you can always control how you respond. And as the great Jay-Z once said, If you're walking with a limp, go and brush your shoulder off or uh, something like that.